welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potzagire, your host, an artist and educator. Ramanathan talked about coming back to art after a long hiatus while teaching and moving from one country to another. She shared beautiful advice for artists and educators around diving into art making and giving yourself grace as you grow your art practice. Mira also shared her experience through this pandemic and how meaningful it has been coming back to in-person teaching with tactile art materials. I loved hearing about her work and the process of selecting colors, tearing paper, collaging, and then adding embroidery. She shared advice around how she seeks opportunities and plans for solo shows, which was really helpful. She also talked about the company she created, Artbound, in which she builds beautiful hand-bound books of children's original artwork. These become keepsakes for the children and families, transforming those piles of artwork, notes, cards, and homework into a gorgeous book. Mira Ramanathan is a visual art teacher and an artist. She has a master's degree in history of fine arts, drawing, and painting, and obtained a single subject teaching credential in visual art at San Diego State University. She creates paper collages that have been featured in several exhibitions. Let's hear from Mira. I am excited to be talking with Mira Ramanathan. Thank you for taking the time. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. It's nice to be here. Yeah, and I love to start just with your background and your path and sort of focused on art and teaching. So if you could talk through how you got to be where you are now. Wonderful. So I've always loved to create, just making something with my hands always excited me. And I grew up in India and I moved here to the United States in 2004. So growing up in India, you know, we would go to school and when we had a chance, we just played. And it was just climbing trees and making things with what was available in nature. And that's just the way how We all played with our friends. It was not structured. We just had so much flexibility in what we did. And when we came back home, it was the same thing. You were just home with mom. And if you wanted something to do, you just looked around the house for inspiration. We Mm -hmm. didn't have a whole lot of um, toys per se to play with. So we just Mm -hmm. created and did things with what was available to us in the kitchen with Mm -hmm. mom or things like that, coconut shells. So I always love to make things, to combine things together and find inspiration in what came out of that. And so I would say becoming an artist, this love to create just stayed with me. And in the summers, I would have my friends, younger friends, who I would love to teach. And whatever I made, I love to teach that to the neighborhood kids that were younger than me or the same age. I This love to create sort of helped me want to teach other my friends how to create. So that love mm-hmm. just stayed with me. And I 
wanted to become a teacher. So becoming an artist and becoming a teacher were sort of interconnected. And my parents really encouraged me to follow my own path. Ever since I was little, I would, you know, want to sew clothes or make prints with okra and I would paint with that. So I just had this passion to make things and my parents would very proudly display that in the house which just gave me the confidence and it just excited me to create and to see that it was received well in my own family so that gave me the confidence to continue creating and continue um, to teach. Ah, that's beautiful. I love hearing that level of support because you don't always get that when you know the, the passion is the arts. Like I know I definitely had one parent being like, but what are you going to do for like money? Like, <laughs> how yes. are you going to make a living? <laughs> right. That's always there too. But yes, mm-hmm. no, I would definitely say I was fortunate in the way that I was supported by my parents when I was little, mm-hmm. my sisters. And even after I got married, my husband, he's been um, a constant Mm -hmm. source of support because like you said, art can sometimes be viewed as, oh my goodness, but what are you actually going to do? I get it. You're making (laughs) something pretty, but what are you actually going to do? Mm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like always seen as sort of the hobby or the sort of side side thing, like great, wonderful that you like that. But what, yeah, what's your serious pursuit. Absolutely. Yes. And then what brought you here? Did you come for university or was it after that? I came here in 2004 after getting married. My husband was working here. So we got married in India when he was there for a job assignment for a couple months. And then we, I moved back here with him in 2004. Okay. And then you've been teaching in San Diego. And I don't think I know much at all about your teaching situation. What um, age level are you teaching? What does that look like for you? Sure. So after I moved here in 2004, I pursued several hobbies. You know, I did a lot of pottery and stained glass, Mm -hmm. but I missed teaching. I wanted Mm -hmm. to teach preschool. So I attended (laughs) community college and I received several units And then I became a preschool teacher in 2007. Mm. I taught at a private preschool and worked with three and a half to four and a half year olds for nine years. Wow. Yeah. So I worked a lot with the littles, as I like (laughs) to call it. And then, but during this course, I felt like I wasn't doing a lot with my art. I do have a master's degree in fine arts, drawing and painting from India. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I wasn't pursuing that or developing that. So I decided to get my teaching credential from San Diego State University in 2018. And after that, I started working with the visual and performing arts department here for San Diego Unified School District. And I currently teach at an elementary school and I teach kids uh, TK through fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. So you went from the little littles to still lots of littles, (laughs) the little TK students. (laughs) Yes. I love that. And how was that shift for you? It was very natural because, you know, with elementary, it's you have to like working with little kids. You need to know how to talk to them, how to break down a lesson and do very simple steps just to make it accessible for them. And I Mm -hmm. love doing that. I love talking with 
the, you know, the TKers because I've worked with preschool for a very long time. And it's just nice because you keep think with the TKers working with preschool really helps work with the TK and the kinder. But it's constantly interesting for me to see how I have to make that shift as I keep moving um, up through the grades and with the fifth grades, it's very different. So I just love mm -hmm. the variety that I have right from mm -hmm. TK to fifth grade. And the transition was very um, seamless because I was just mm -hmm. used to sitting on the ground with them or mm -hmm. looking them eye to eye and then telling them what to do and listening to their responses. I just find it fascinating because it's such an important age and how you can talk to them and help them develop their appreciation for art and just telling them mm. how important it is to constantly create, mm. which I love. Yeah. And so many, I always found at that age, they're like innately creative and they love being able to play with materials and just explore in art. So encouraging that and trying to like keep that going through, you know, into those slightly later years. I also loved that variety of, you know, you can have some really deep, interesting discussions with the fourth and fifth graders. Absolutely. As they transition into middle school, it's so nice mm -hmm. to have them appreciate art. And it's an art, the art classroom can be such an important place in teaching them how to be tolerant, mm -hmm. how to create empathy. And yeah. there's so much you can do being an art teacher. And I love all those aspects. Mm. And how do you bring that into your classroom, the idea of empathy and tolerance? Do you have any sort of lesson ideas that you would want to share or more sort of into the nitty gritty the like tips? Absolutely. In my class, I like to have a lot of representation. So my artists mm -hmm. that I use as inspiration are very diverse. They're from mm -hmm. different parts of the world and there are local artists. And I always find it fascinating how when I use an artist as an inspiration and I tell them they live right here in San Diego, it's just surprising and fascinating to mm -hmm. the kids. And some yeah. of the artists that I use as an inspiration, I know them personally. So it's just mm -hmm. fascinating for the kids when I tell them this artist is actually a friend of mine. And it just is it's just really nice to see their reaction. So I like mm -hmm. to have... Um, pictures of different artists that I talk about in class. And like I said, they're from different parts of the world. And I think that by itself is important for students to see that there is there are artists that live in different parts of the world and they're creating art as we speak. So mm -hmm. that's really neat for them to know. And the second thing is when I'm talking about art, we always start by responding to art. So when I have an artist as an inspiration, I show their work and I just ask them, what do you see? What do you notice in this particular artwork? And it also goes with the standards that we use where responding to art is one of the four branches. It's apart from creating, connecting and presenting. So I love to hear their responses. And we always talk about how when someone is sharing their answer, we're all listening to that person. You know, mm -hmm. you might not agree with what that other person is saying, but we're all being respectful and listening to each other's mm -hmm. answers. So it's always nice to see how students can listen to what they're all each each is responding in a different way. And we're and we do also do a lot of artwork where we're collaborating. So it might not the final art product is what all of us have contributed into. So that's mm -hmm. another way how you develop that empathy and your 
being tolerant because you're there's a lot of t- taking turns there's a lot of negotiating the collaborating the responding so all of these aspects i think creates that empathy and it just creates that that knowing that art can be very different but that's okay yeah and that you know you're building sort of a classroom community that way that you're sure. giving giving each student like space and time for their own voice but also expecting them to provide that space and time for other people's voices right yeah that's beautiful and just the way it's structured like it's part of sort of the class structure that it's not necessarily this added thing that has to come it's just woven into how class works right yes Yeah, that's beautiful. And it sounds like the way you do that sort of responding to art is similar to VTS, like the visual thinking strategies. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. And I leave it pretty open and I I just Mm -hmm. build it based on what they respond. When they respond, then I ask them another question to just sort of build it Mm -hmm. just to see what more I from them. And I also Mm -hmm. use a lot of visual supports in my classroom. So when students, if they can think of a word, there is the word wall that they can use. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to see if we can connect it to previous lessons that we've done. It's like, can you connect it to something we've done before? Do you remember Mm -hmm. the new word that we learned? So that kind of a thing. It's just fascinating to see how I can get them and listen to their answers and how their thinking is progressing as we engage in these conversations. Yeah, that's beautiful to hear too. And it's makes me think of a conversation I was just having with somebody about, you know, sometimes we go through the motions of like, okay, I put up my word wall, done, check, that's it. But coming back to that, like it's on the wall for a reason. So it can be that support, like you're saying, and it can be something students and teacher kind of refer back to. And remember, it's there. It's up on the wall for you. Absolutely. And I recently added, I'm very passionate about how I can combine literacy into art. Mm. I just, I love to see how students notice these different things that I put up. And there are students who notice that I've added new words to the word wall from the last oh, lesson. Great. And it's great. And I also have, you know, when we talk about the elements of art, I have these curtains that I added to the window. You know, I have the line with the name and the lines drawn. And Mm -hmm. I find it so fascinating when a kinder student will actually get up from their seat, walk over there to look, to look for the answer and tell me the answer and then come back. It's beautiful to see how it can inspire and influence them. I absolutely love Mm -hmm. seeing that. Yeah. And I love that, you know, even just that freedom of motion that you can go use the resources that are here in the room. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I have, you know, observed teachers where it's like, no, what are you doing out of your seat? You can't be up out of your seat. (laughs) And, you know, then it kind of defeats the purpose of having those resources there if they can't see them from their seats. Right. And it's just beautiful to see this little kinder, you know, just looking all the way up like that at the lines. It just warms my heart so much. Beautiful. Oh, and then how has so we've all been you know teaching through a pandemic how has that been for you how is it going now thinking you're probably back in person 
relatively sort of back to how it was before. I know we're still masked here. I'm guessing, I don't know if that's statewide or <laughs> if it's, yeah, yeah sort of, what does that look like? Sure. Mm -hmm. So during the pandemic, it was a huge adjustment. We had mm -hmm. given students a kit that they could pick up in the beginning of the year. It had mm -hmm. a, a couple basic supplies, like a box of crayons, the pencil eraser. I believe we had scissors and glue and a glue stick so mm -hmm. we really had to I really had to change the way that I was teaching in the sense all most of our artwork was done with um, crayons so mm -hmm. and you know there would be students who who were you know traveling or who were in their other parents house and they wouldn't have materials so I would right. I would just tell them participate using anything you have it could be mm -hmm. a pa paper that's lined the back of a paper grocery bag, just participate. And that was mm -hmm. just my goal. I'm like, I just want you to participate because we're spending so much time online. We're not actually making things that we would normally do. We were not getting messy. They were not touching different art materials. And I just felt mm -hmm. that that tactile aspect was missing, but we did the best we could. We got, I got a lot of great artwork done by the students, but you know, with limited supplies. Mm -hmm. But now having gone back to in-person teaching, we're masked indoors. The range, the variety of art supplies that I'm able to provide my students is awesome. Mm -hmm. We're doing clay, we're doing polymer clay, we're doing mm -hmm. weaving and embroidery, painting, things like that. And what's also nice is I'm able to see the progress that students are making. And if mm -hmm. they're stuck, at a particular step, I'm right there for me to, for them right. to call me and for me to work with them in progressing to the next step. So that's been one of the major advantages of being online. And of course, just seeing the students in person has been so amazing. You know, I can work one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with students that need that help. I'm able to differentiate the lesson depending upon where they are. I'm able mm -hmm. to scaffold it knowing what they need. Mm -hmm. So that's been really amazing being in person. Yeah, it's almost like we have a new appreciation for for what was missing when we were not in person. You know, right. now it's like, wow, there are so many things that are so wonderful about being able to just be there with the kids. Absolutely. And it was yeah. just not the same. I mean, we, I know we all did our best, but it was just not the same. Now I enjoy mm -hmm listening to their pair shares when they're mm -hmm. looking at a particular work of art or the class discussion. I enjoy listening to their conversations so, so much. And it just mm -hmm. wasn't the same. It just wasn't as meaty when it was on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you feel like there are things that have shifted or things that have changed that are going to stay that way? Like, I know I've heard from some teachers about learning new technologies that maybe are, you know, this is amazing. I'm going to keep doing this forever and ever, or even just like shifts in thinking, shifts in mindset that might stick around. I feel like ever since students have come back, meeting them where they are has never mm -hmm. been more important. Mm -hmm. It's just nice to see where the different students are and meeting them where they are. There are mm -hmm. certain, and I can tell that students have really missed being in art because we've been in front of yeah. the computer so, so much. So I'm constantly encouraging them to do things with their hands, get messy, get your hands sticky, 
with the glue, with paint and get that clay on your hands. But there are certain things um, that I would like to continue using. Like we, I do have them bring their Chromebooks. We're doing mm -hmm. more digital art than I, I never thought I would do digital art so much, but I just feel like, well, they've been on the computer so much. So let's just extend that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Or when they're responding to prompts, or if I want to take a poll on mm -hmm. what they're seeing, it's just nice to use Google Jamboard. That was a huge mm -hmm. hit for me when I was on Zoom because students, you know, they didn't have to be very self-conscious while responding because it was mm -hmm. just on a sticky note. I didn't know who it was coming from. So it's just a nice, it's, it's a nice way a different way to to see where what they're understanding and for them to respond so there are certain aspects that like these that I would continue using but I do want them to use their hands and just make stuff yes. yeah that tactility is that the right yes. word <laughs> just like yeah, it is yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> make it up <laughs> getting your hands on those materials yeah yes to just feel things, touching, yes, mm -hmm. to be able to feel things and make things, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I was, maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but I was talking with another parent as we're kind of, you know, waiting at school drop-off and the kids are clamoring just like, when are they going to open the gates? When can we go in? And as soon as it's open, the kids are running inside, like they cannot wait to get to school. And just observing this, watching with another parent, we were like, did it used to, were they always this excited about school? Is this because they've been home? Like they're, they're just ready to be away from us. They're like, absolutely. let me into this school. To be with their peers. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We've all missed that. I've yeah. missed having conversation with grownups during the pandemic. Right. You know, <laughs> just like the kids have missed being with their peers. I've missed mm. talking to fellow teachers you know, and with being on the computer, there's only so much we could do, especially when talking about what can I do better to support the needs of a particular student that mm -hmm. would entail like six emails during <sighs> the pandemic. Yeah. But now it is so beautiful to just be able to walk to that classroom and just talk to that teacher. And it's done. Mm -hmm. I've got the answers that I want to. Right. It was exhausting in certain ways too constantly look at those emails when I could have just walked mm. next door or a couple yeah. feet and get that those questions answered. Yeah, that's true. That communication in person in real time. Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's a huge one. And then it also makes me think about like the equity issues that I feel like we're kind of highlighted or brought more to the surface with the pandemic. I'm not sure if you saw much of that in your teaching situation, like, you know, students, you did mention materials and students just not having access to materials or even access to devices or internet, like any of that kind of thing. Did that come up much for you? And if it did, how did, you know, how did you or the school kind of deal with that? It did. Like I would have students that would be on Zoom and every time they unmuted or asked me a question, I could tell there's probably six other siblings in the house mm. and just their level of concentration was just affected because they're not in an art classroom where they were just focusing. Mm. So everybody's home situation was so different. There were yeah. some students who could not pick, come to pick up the materials, which is why I was like, okay, how can we make this work for you? Do you have mm -hmm. anything you can draw with? It's okay if you're not using the materials that were given to you that you couldn't mm -hmm. pick up. 
but I just want you to participate. How can we make this work for you? It's okay yeah. if you don't have colors or you don't have you know, the markers. Do you have a pencil? Mm-hmm. Let's just make this work. And yeah. with um, and I would try if there was a student who could absolutely not come to pick it up. It was like, how how can I make this work for you? So I did. Mm-hmm. We would talk to the principal and say, the student lives close to the school. Is there a chance we can go drop off some materials? It even came down to that because, mm-hmm. like you know, as an art teacher, you you just want to do what's best for the kids. You just want them to participate no matter what. So there was constant. We were constantly thinking about. How can I just make this work for you? That kind of a thing. And I knew some of the students were doing their work. I saw a lot of parent engagement because I I could Mm -hmm. tell, especially with the kinders and the first graders, the parents were right next to them, which was really nice because it gave the parents a chance to see the kind of things that we do in art, Mm -hmm. which normally wouldn't happen if we were an in-person school. They They could see how, you know, the art class is structured and how we go from the hook to the warm-up to the actual art lesson. And they were there to help students um, submit their artwork onto Seesaw or Google Classroom. But there were students who I never got any work from. And I it was just the way that it was. We mm-hmm. posted the directions. So, but now I can see everybody's work because they are in class. So, you know, definitely being in the classroom, I'm able to provide equity. And you're right, that was missing last year and you could you could mm-hmm. see that I would send reminders about hey can I see your art or how are you progressing but there was there were families where the students were sharing probably one Chromebook among a couple siblings so right it's just what it was with the pandemic yeah, yeah. and then it makes me think maybe you you also maybe had the opportunity to kind of draw on like your own childhood how you mentioned creating with whatever was around you and like sharing that with your students. <laughs> I mean, I possibly did. I, I don't remember now. It just seems like the pandemic was years back, but right. it's only it's been like, two years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would love to also get into your own artwork and your art making. Maybe could we start with like describing your artwork and your sort of art practice for people who have not seen it? Sure. I create paper collages using magazine paper and I add a traditional Indian embroidery on it called Kutch Mm. embroidery, which is from Western India. So I have a Like I said, I have a master's degree in India and I had specialized in textile design. So this love for working with yarn and fabric also just continued to just stay with me. And so I combined these two materials to create my art. I create a lot of objects, especially I'm obsessed with teapots. I create several of those and my art just focuses on objects that you would see on a daily basis. And my goal is Mm -hmm. to create a collage of them to elevate them to a higher Mm -hmm. level. These everyday objects that no one would pay a second look to, those become the focus of my art. And I just Mm -hmm. want to show the world that there is beauty in the ordinary. So that's the kind of art that I do. Beautiful. Well, I love that it's, you know, you're talking about these everyday objects and then you're creating them using 
you know, I think of like magazine paper as also kind of everyday objects, like nothing, it's nothing special. It's like not, you know, an oil painting. It's a collage. You're like ripping up and cutting up this paper and creating something really beautiful with it. I love the process of ripping paper. I find it very therapeutic. Just looking through those magazines, especially food magazines, they have Mm. the best colors. So I collect them when I can. And just looking through those magazines for the colors that I want, or even the colors that are available in the magazine, then I just decide to use those because they give me inspiration. And my Mm. favorite part is to add the embroidery. Finally, it's, you know, just to see where, what part of the collage I can add it, or am I using it decoratively, or is it serving a purpose in the collage? Making those decisions are very Mm. interesting to me. Yeah, I love hearing about that. And I'm just looking at some of them with that embroidery that becomes these almost like little like lightning lines coming through or just you know, there's like added energy with that embroidery. Yes. Yes. And the sketch <laughs> embroidery is just, it's very mathematical. You make mm. a skeleton first with yarn and then you weave in that skeleton. So it's a two-part wow. process. And I, ever since I learned how to do this when I was in college um, in India, I was just fascinated by by it. I was, I still, that, that's the reason I keep using it when I get a chance. It's just It's beautiful for me to do that. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like such an interesting process. And, you know, I can see there being both this, like you're tearing the paper, you're finding the colors, like I can see there being an an element of not as much structure to that. But then there is so much like you talked about the mathematical aspects of the embroidery. And I can see a bit of that structure even in the collage and the way that you you do your collage as well. Thank you. It's like, yeah, yes. it's like yeah. this this mathematical brain, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear also how you, so you've been creating this incredible artwork. Have you been showing it? And how do you kind of seek those opportunities? Yeah, if you could talk about the more like business side of being an artist. Sure. I actually had used to do a lot of collages when I was in college, did not incorporate the embroidery. I just thought Mm -hmm. they were two separate things and that Mm -hmm. embroidery only went on clothes and collages on paper. So it was, I, my thought process was very different and I never created a single piece of art until 2018. So I just took a very long break. It was Several aspects played into that. Having moved to a new country, I just wasn't confident about being an artist. I thought what I was doing wasn't enough and that I need to follow a certain grid, like a certain path that I was seeing around me. So there was just a little bit of struggle in finding who I am as an artist, what path I need to take. And I just realized I need to start somewhere. So one day I just decided that I'm just going to start making this and we'll see how it goes. Because when you're an artist, you're putting your artwork out there and letting people look at it and give you critical feedback. And I was just very, what's the word? Terrified of that happening. (laughs) (laughs) Because it, it can be 
you know, it's it's a very vulnerable position that you're putting yourself in. But I have mm-hmm. to say there is something in being a mother that gives you that the the push into doing things that you thought you weren't comfortable with. I think mm-hmm. being a mom really gave me that confidence and wanting to become an inspiration for my daughters mm-hmm. just made me push that um, that away, that what was stopping me away. And I said, I'm just going to start creating. And now when I look back at mm-hmm. what I started making in 2018, it was like, whoa, I actually started like this. I used to use big chunks of paper and there wasn't that much. I mean, I can tell that I've progressed from what mm-hmm. I did even four years back. The one thing that gave me a lot of confidence was I had I had started subscribing to this website. It's called onlinejuried.com and they keep sending you emails with opportunities where you can submit your art show. And mm-hmm. one of my works got accepted into a, a gallery called Front Porch Art Gallery in Carlsbad. And oh, cool. just being invited to that, the opening and the reception, it just changed my entire perspective about being an artist. I said, well, I'm going to keep doing this because I like doing this. There were people that would come up to me and ask me about the process. And I talked to a lot of artists who were in the show with me. I think that just gave me so much confidence. And I said, I'm going to keep doing this. I would listen to all the feedback that the fellow artists were giving me, the nice things and and the the critical feedback that they were giving me, I said, I'm going to use this and keep growing as an artist. And um, using embroidery, that just came to me a year after. And I said, wow, this is a perfect way for me to combine two of my favorite things together. And finding that path has been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. So when I look at, you know, there are Facebook um, groups that I look at, there's Instagram the online jury shows. And also with our school district, there are opportunities that are sometimes posted for teachers, art teachers who are also artists. So I'm constantly looking at that. And I've had five solo shows since 2019. So it's nice. Yeah, it's nice for me to work towards a collection and present. And then people Mm. get in touch with me once I've I leave my cards and then people get in touch with me for commissions once Mm. in a while. So that's nice as well. Yeah. And when you're working towards a show like that, what's your sort of process? Are you starting with ideas or with like colors? Do you kind of sketch out things and see, you know, like I know I've started doing these sort of mock-ups of the actual space where it's going to be. And I'm like, okay, what sizes, what shapes, how many pieces, how like all the details. (laughs) Sure. I first decide on a theme. It's mm-hmm. like having a theme in mind really sort of gives me a focus. Once yeah. I have the theme, I just start creating. Mm-hmm. And I once I get about nine or 10 pieces, then I start looking for a venue. I've had mm-hmm. luck with public libraries here mm-hmm. um, in San Diego's. They're very open for um, artists to come display their work. Um, several coffee shops where They love to host artists and they have a lot of people, a lot of foot traffic coming through them. So I look for that and there might be some spaces that can't accommodate all of it. So then I just look to see how many do I want to display my eight best Mm -hmm. or my 10 best. And there will be certain places where it's like, oh, I need to make more. So I just sort of work during the weekends and get more done so that the wall space looks 
filled. And there are also shows where like I have, I've been displaying a lot of my artwork in the monthly art shows at Escondido Arts Partnership. They're the, they're a local organization here and they have a call for entries every month. So it's sort of like forces me to think, oh, they want something in yellow. What can I do? And I, if I have the time that I make it and I submit it. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's a combination of many things. Yeah. And that also, you mentioned, you know, working on the weekends, trying to make enough work. That makes me think, how are you fitting it in? Is it mostly on the weekends, in the evenings? Do you squeeze in anything? Like I know I was sometimes during preps and stuff, like sketching or just like thinking of ideas. Um, I do it only at home. And, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, it's interesting you ask that because these past years I've been working off the kitchen table. And, you know, as a mom, you know how busy that can get the kitchen table. Mm. There's always something going on. So what I would end up doing was waiting for the day's work to be done, the dinner to be cleaned up and that kitchen table being empty. And that would happen, Mm. say, by 930. And the next thing I would know is I would be awake until about midnight. And this just was not working well for me because, you know, you need your sleep because, you know, you're working full time as well. So now, just this past weekend, I set up a little nook for myself with Mm -hmm. a table. It's like the mistake or that I was making is waiting for a three hour chunk, which is very hard to get. So now what I've started doing is just setting up this nook in one corner of the house. And even if I'm able to get 15 minutes, I go do something. I add to that. Mm. And some fellow artists that I've been talking to encouraged me to do this because they said, it doesn't matter if you don't get that chunk. If you get 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes during your day, you can add something to your work. And that will, you know, just add up into completing your work. I thought that was very sensible advice. I'm trying to do that now. Yeah, that's great. Just to have the space and the materials ready to go. And then especially with collage, because it is something you can kind of come back to and, you know, there's no paint that's going to dry out. You're just like, I'm going to glue another piece now. And then I'm going to go, you know, make snacks and then (laughs) then I'm going to glue another piece and grade some work. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's so true because you know, waiting for that three hour, four hour block, it, it just never happens. And then there's this frustration that, yeah. oh my gosh, I never got anything done. But you working in these 15, 10 minute blocks can add up to something mm-hmm. bigger. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that's great advice for artists who are also teaching and, you know, just have these very busy, full lives. Yeah. And then I loved hearing about just seeking out those spaces as well for your shows. When you do that, do you send like sort of a full proposal or is it more just like, hey, do you have space? You know, like a shorter email, just reaching out to them or do you go in person? How are you? Like, I want to know that nitty gritty advice for if other artists wanted to seek out spaces to show their work. Absolutely. With organizations like the public library, there is an online form that you have to fill out. Ah. There is a set criteria that you have to follow. It has to be something that everybody can see, you know, kids. So there is a set criteria. They every they do ask for images, a an artist statement, your biography, a link to a website and your social media account. I no, I think it's just a link to your website and they get back to you. 
With a lot of coffee shops, they, again, it just depends on what their requirement is. They do want to see a couple of your works prior to meeting you. So I've sent them a bunch of my artworks, high resolution images, just to give them a feel for what my art looks like. And then I meet them in person. They just want to see who you are and chat with you for a bit. And then I go see the space and then we move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's just great to know sort of how does this work? How do you approach these places? And what's nice is once you build that rapport and you have that connection, sometimes they'll get in touch with you again to see, you know, if they have an opening. Oh, are you interested in showing again two months from now, which is great. So it's nice to have that connections made. Yeah. And you sort of build those relationships locally. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. And then do you feel like you've had sort of barriers to your art career or challenges that you've had to really overcome? I mean, we just talked about the space and the time. I feel like those are big ones. But anything else that's felt like sort of a barrier that you've had to get past? Sure. When I first moved here, you know, I was very apprehensive about pursuing my art career because I just felt like... I'm not sure if this kind of art would necessarily fit into what I'm seeing around me. Mm. When you're, when you've stopped making art for a long period of time, it's really hard to get back. And I had a 12 year wait when I never created anything. So I Mm. think just finding the passion, the drive and just wanting to create was a barrier for me. It was just so hard to get back into like, it was, I kept thinking, what do I start? Where do I start? And it's like, just do it. (laughs) That's what I keep telling myself. Just do it. If there is a block, just do it and see where this takes you. Because sometimes the art making process is so beautiful. It can just take you on a new path that you never thought you would get into. So just not having that, the confidence, because I had moved from one country to another was the biggest barrier for me. I think that was the main thing for me. But once I found my path and I realized that I was getting success, you sort of want to keep building on those little successes that you get. It's like, oh, somebody actually wanted to buy my artwork. Maybe I should keep making more of these. So that was uh, one of my biggest barriers. And I think finding your path, you know, doesn't happen right away. Like dabble with different things until you feel like, oh, this is my calling. This is what mm-hmm. I really want to do. And that can take time. So just give mm-hmm. giving yourself that time to find what you want to keep making, what gives you joy, what you're passionate about mm-hmm. can take time, but take the time because it's really nice to be able to do that. Yeah. And I loved hearing too, how you, you know, initially thought of like embroidery has to only be on fabric on, you know, this is not for, this doesn't go together, this collage practice and this embroidery practice. But then letting yourself kind of experiment with what happens if they do come together. Right. And that's where, you know, being an artist and being a teacher sort of mesh. Because as an, as an art mm-hmm. teacher, I'm constantly telling my kids to take risks, try new things. Right. If you fail, that's not the end of the world. What did you learn from it? And it's the same mm-hmm. thing that I want to keep telling myself as an artist too. So it's sort of it mixes together because the lessons that I teach my kids are the lessons that I want to practice in my own artist life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to 
almost step into the teacher role and like teach yourself. (laughs) Yes. You're like, I just spent all day saying this to children. Let's say it again to myself. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard. It, I mean, I feel like doing that also gives you more empathy for the students when you're, when you're telling them like, it's okay to make a mistake and then you try to tell yourself that and you have this pushback inside of you like no it's not okay (laughs) right like I made a mistake (laughs) right or this just did Mm. not work well what was I thinking guess what Mm. you could just start over I know you put in all this hard work but it didn't work let's move on Mm -hmm. that kind of yeah and what did you learn from that process and from what was the valuable lesson yes so true Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, I love hearing that how, you know, teaching and art making really do come together and work together. And there's this sort of like overlap in our thinking. For sure. Yeah. Beautiful. You've talked a bit about, you know, timing and fitting it all in. Would you have other sort of tips for artists who want to teach or sort of the flip side is like teachers who maybe this is where you would have more advice because you you talked about that like gap in not being able to make art, not making art and coming back. So tips maybe for teachers who want to get into art making. Absolutely. I would say just go for it. Just start somewhere because we all want, at least me, you know, you you want it to be so perfect. It's not going to be like that. So just give your time to delve into the process, try mm-hmm. different things to see what, what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Just do it. You know, you might think yes. you don't have the time, but you always have to make the time because mm-hmm. it's so important because it validates your job as a teacher. When you're an artist, you realize you have more empathy for your students who you teach. So that's yeah. what that's the advice I would give teachers who are who want to get back into being artists. For artists that want to become teachers, I would definitely say go look at an art classroom. Talk mm-hmm. to an art teacher. Ask them a lot of questions on what it takes to become an art teacher. What are you mm-hmm. passionate about? Why do you want to become a teacher? Ask yourselves those Ask yourself those important questions because they, they, they really determine the kind of art teacher you want to become. You know, there is a lot of this um, perception that art is fun. It is, there are, but there are so many other aspects into being an mm-hmm. art teacher about being extremely organized, about how you seek out the artists that you want to use as inspiration. How are you going to differentiate and scaffold? There are so many aspects into being an art teacher, so I would say go observe an art classroom and then see what it is that you're passionate about that wants you to become an art teacher because it's very important to find answers to those questions before you actually become an art teacher. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, thinking through, you know, what does it really take to to teach this thing that you're so passionate about? Right. Yeah. And then I also love, you know, the advice to just dive in and do it. And like, it's not going to be perfect right away. And how you talked about seeing your growth over time. And it, it can be really interesting to look back at your earlier work and be like, wow, I've, you know, I've really improved. Like, I don't know what I was, <laughs> what is right? that old work? <laughs> yes. That's oh, I feel I that way too. Yeah. 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 But that's the beauty of it all, the growth mm-hmm. that has happened. It's so beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is really beautiful to see that growth. And then I was seeing that you also, you offer what's called art bound. So you are making children's artwork into sort of books. Would you want to talk about that a bit? Sure. So this just came from when I was working in the preschool, one of the parents came up to me and she said, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with all this art. We have so much. And she asked me, would you consider making, doing something with it? Like what ideas could you have? And I had just attended a bookmaking workshop a couple weeks before that. And I said, well, let me try to see if this might work. And what I started doing was just looking through my kids' art and saving some and not saving some. And the ones that I wanted to save, because it's impossible to save every piece of art. Right. And I just wanted my kids to have a documentation of what they worked on. It wasn't just art. It was just their Valentine's Day notes that they got from their um, Mm. friends when they were in preschool, some of their math worksheets, how they used, you know, they wrote in kinder and first and second grade. It was just beautiful for me to see that progression happening. And I thought, Mm. what better way to save it than making a book? So I started a small business called Artbound and where parents give me a bunch of art and I mount it on cardstock and I actually Mm. hand make the um, the covers for it with with binding cloth and mm. the board the bookmaking board and I give it to them so it just goes from this a box of random art to just a nice book that they can keep yeah. as a keepsake that's beautiful I would love to have that <laughs> <laughs> I'm like no I need to either hire you to do it or work on that myself I have exactly what you're talking about like boxes of kid art and I almost a lot of it like I've kind of I've curated pulled aside a few pieces that are just like this is beautiful I'm gonna I want to save it and then I have sort of boxes of maybe this is collage material for my kid and me (laughs) (laughs) like we'll just cut it up and re remake it into more art Um, right yeah yeah that's such a great idea What was beautiful is I would have my kids involved in it too. It's like, look through your Mm. art and tell me the ones that you want to keep. Why do you want to keep? Like, what do you like about it? So it's just beautiful to have that conversation with them in the summer. And it's pretty, you know, it takes a long time for them to look through and we're just doing this together. So it's it's just a nice time for me to spend with them, talk about art, Mm. like some of the stories that they might share when they created that work of art. It was so it's it's just a beautiful process to go through it with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're getting into those presenting standards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're curating. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, why do you want to save this? What is special about this for you? Or why don't you want to save it? Kind of mm-hmm. a thing. So it's nice to see what they are thinking when they're answering. Yeah. 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 And it can be so interesting to see even like the difference between if I had my pile of like, these are absolute, like have to be saved. And then she has her pile. They're not the same. No. <laughs> it's like, what is my aesthetic that I'm, I'm putting on her? And then, you know, right. what are her reasons are much more sort of narrative and like tied to the creation and the story she had behind the work. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I will have to link to that if anyone does want to send Mira some kid artwork and 
have you create these beautiful books. Because I I mean, the thing that I love about it, too, is that I've seen so many of these sort of options of, you know, photograph your the artwork and like save it that way, which is great. And, you know, like, then you have this record of it and then you can make a printed book. But I love that, again, like the tactile nature yes. of it and having the actual, you know, where you can see that the thickness of the paint they were using and those, you know, textures that are in there. For yeah. sure. Or their little fingerprints on right. it from paint oh. that accidentally <laughs> got there. That's why I love keeping the originals. There's just so mm-hmm. much warmth in that than the mm-hmm. photographs. It's This is the actual artwork, right? right. Yeah. yeah, it's also that one of those things that I was missing in the pandemic was seeing art, like going out and seeing artwork in person. And yeah, that having the original there is so meaningful. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Is there anything that we kind of missed that you really wanted to get to? Anything Uh, else that you would want to add? I'm just, you know, working now to see um, how I can make my art more personal. Like how how can I connect Mm. it to my culture and the languages Mm. that I know? So I'm just going through like a transition phase right now where I feel like, you know, I've created a lot of the teapots and the teacups and I'm getting very comfortable doing that it's like what can I do to challenge myself more Mm -hmm. and how can I make my art more personal it's like what Mm -hmm. can I do that makes my art unique can I use my language can I what else can I use that's unique to me what can I bring with me so I'm just going through that finding a different path right now because I'm just comfortable very comfortable doing Mm -hmm. what I've been doing and I just want to challenge myself um, even more when it comes to my art and yeah I I would say that's what I'm going through right now that's so interesting to hear and I love that thought process too of like what can I do that's more challenging and the idea of tying tying back more to your culture and languages I feel like the embroidery like bringing that in really could be powerful there or even thinking about the the source material for collages like does that connect back to you know other cultural like is there is there sort of embedded meaning that could be from whatever material rather than these food magazines like what else could be used for yeah. sure there's a lot of possibility <laughs> yes a lot of possibilities yes that's the right word yeah. <laughs> What now it's, you know, almost back to that curating, like what direction do I go? (laughs) Yes, for sure. So it's nice to constantly Mm -hmm. be thinking it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like when everything becomes flat, it just gets a little monotonous, but I like to keep Mm -hmm. things exciting and what more, what more, what, what can be different, that kind of a thing. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. What's next? What's (laughs) next? Yes, absolutely. That's great. And that leads in. So I have a couple of just kind of get to know you questions, fun questions. And I feel like that really leads into the next one. So what are you curious about? Oh, um, maybe it is what you just talked about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like where, when, what direction can I take my art? What Mm -hmm. can I do to tie with my, that's a big thing for me. And with regards to being an art teacher, what just reflecting back on what I've done this school year, what what worked well, what do I want to bring back, or 
What do I want to change? Get just getting ready for the next school year, depending on how what worked well and what what I could change for next school year. That's what I'm curious yeah. about and want to work on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then fun, kind of silly question: What is your favorite food? <laughs> rice. <laughs> I'm Ooh, a, yeah. from South India. We just grew up eating rice <laughs> every single day. And if I don't get it, I get cranky. So I need to have <laughs> rice every day. <laughs> yep. Give me my daily rice. <laughs> yes, my daily dose of rice, the carbs. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then is there anyone you'd want to thank or give sort of a shout out to? Oh, just my husband. I think he's played mm -hmm. a very huge role in letting me pursue who I want to be. Just giving me the confidence, the motivation, the inspiration into just try what's going to happen. You fail, just try again. I would say he's been a very huge part of who I am today. So definitely to him. Beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> having that support is so important. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then last thing, where can everyone connect with you online? I have my website. It's miraramanathan.com or on Instagram. I go by Miss R's Art Class. On Instagram, I post every day on what we're doing in my art class. And I do post, you know, some of the art shows that I am in or if my art. So you can connect mm -hmm. with me there. Awesome. Yeah. And I will link to those as well. So everybody can easily find them. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, Mira. This was wonderful. Oh, thank you, Rebecca. No, I, I just, you have a very nice, calm way of asking questions and, <laughs> you know, like building on it. So no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.